0: Theme is cowardice. We all know the mountain lion of cowardice. Its acrophobia rendered its habitat, the mountain, into an insurmountable wall of shame. Many believe this fear of heights clinches it, but basophobia, the fear of falling, well, that is what truly terrified the formerly ferocious feline. Fear becomes an essential ingredient of cowardice. Its opposite, courage, takes cues from the same fear. Some even say if you're not afraid, it ain't courage. One faces a choice. Either do the easy, nasty, self-servingly toxic and hurtful wrong thing or to do nothing and evade the decision altogether or to do the right thing. The courageous thing that comes with some pain, sacrifice, and likely blowback. Cowardice boils down to either of the first two options. Anything but doing courage. So, like Wazzles, it comes in assorted flavors. Whatever one chooses, one does the thing. It's not some material quality or substance one has laying about the study. There's no shelf full of courage in the closet or drawer full of it in the cyber refrigerator. Cowardice, likewise, accumulates in, again and again, doing the wrong thing and not doing the right thing. I can talk about such choices till the synthetically harvested cows come home. Or, we can delve deeper into my latest demonstration, of which I am none too proud. As you know, last time I came across the property of Vlather Mergelbaum, a private journal. Interesting, interesting stuff. I've leafed through it, and seems he was dead set on getting out of here, and it's planted a seed of curiosity in me a new seed. I mean, as you know, I've had the seed. It just kind of died inside me after looking out onto that dark and horrifically disturbing hallway. It's, uh, if if you saw it, it, you know what I mean. It's, oh boy. Reading this journal has raised a lot of questions, like what's going on with his gut? This fella has some digestive tract problems. I mean, oop. I probably shouldn't be blabbing about another customer. Strike his name, if you must. I can't rewind. That'll be up to you. And, you know what, don't strike his name. I'm gonna call out Flather because, who knows, maybe somebody who hears this knows him. I think he would do the same. I, I grant anyone the same latitude with me. And I'm just gonna take an old page from one of my former employers, uh, a megacorp, uh, what was it, Satoio Seer used to say well this is sort of an inside motto they said uh better to ask for repentance than consent that sounds pretty crass wow that's really what they said well anyway i'll be asking for repentance i guess on flather's behalf but till then here's a passage from flather merkelbaum's journal and i tell you i just might have to go out there
1: it begins it's sunday i believe i've been keeping track of the days of the week but the numbers escaped me at some point now i've gone out the door into the deceptively labyrinthine hallway which has an early mid-20th century art deco decor the floor feels like concrete almost but shellacked and polished to the point of being deadly slippery i loped around seeking the front door side door really any exit it was all for naught The entryway has a lobby area with a lit fireplace, some pew-like benches and a divan. Or is it a chaise lounge? The little resting person's sofa chair thing is upholstered to the brim, overstuffed and glitzy with a sort of gilded brocade of mustard gold, a thread and pattern that appears to be embroidered carousels all over it. You know, the kind with horseborgs, hippos, griffins, griffiths, capybaras, on whose backs we ride or road, as children. You couldn't sit on the chair, though. It's too stuffy. Plus, it says no sitting or loitering on punishment of dismemberment. Well, that's not something I would want to test. And there's a podium next to the door for a doorwoman, I'd guess, based on the assortment of pastel gel pens, though one never knows. The door opens, if it could open, on what appears to be a blurry blue and sand seascape from afar upon closer inspection it's a section of a zen rock garden under a cloudless sky frozen at midday and no the door won't budge the rest of the halls are halls i wandered them for an hour or more before doubling back and discovering it took twice as long to find my way back to the starting point no thank you but good to know the halls are lined with doors apartments well Some may also lead to businesses on the ground floor, like the one where I always find myself. Although, there's a peculiar detail. They they have peepholes, some of them, but the looking portion is on the outside, where I stand. And some of them are covered with a metal plate that you can slide open. So I can look into the room and, well, I'll talk about what I saw later. It's not really delectable. Other ones are positioned in the opposite direction, so designed as one would expect to be used from the inside of the apartment. Those I actually chose not to get too close to because, well, what kind of place has peepholes on the outside of apartments, next to regular apartments? I mean, who would live in such a place? The prominent signs leading off from the five hallways that spine out from the central elevator shaft say all visitors must be announced. The lack of ambiguity smacks of a threat. And, well, now I'm back. It occurred to me that this room that i found myself back inside might be my old dentist's office, perhaps in another life. I believe the only way out is to explore further. Indeed. But
0: first, we must journey back to the downside up. So dream warriors mount up. And now, time for the conclusion of Story 3, Baby Nap. Previously, Odell's camouflage cloak had flickered off for a split second during he and Zelly's baby liberating caper. One of the cyber-samurais detaining Zelly's 10-year-old nephew Ernesto took Odell's brief appearance as an invitation to wing a nano-dagger at the old man's ribs. And just as the projectile connected with the geezer, bent over in pain, the whole gang was highlighted by the headlights of an oncoming vehicle. There remains a dispute about whether the lighting effect came from a lost pizza delivery drone scanning residences, or if, on the other hand, the blast lights on a blackguard hover cruiser flashed across the lawn at the right time. Hard to say, but... Easy to say was the way in which Ernesto used the brief spectacle to shrug out of his shell coat, which had hardened against the Cyber Samurai's iron bio-grip. Without missing a break-beat, the boy assassin thief roused about, hellion whatever his reputation would become, exited out the back way. He ran toward the buggy, a mistake any newbie would make since the kid had never actually seen nitrochrome in action, Odell moved swiftly. He steered the buggy back to himself and collapsed onto it, covering it with his cloak. Then he fumbled to disengage the repellent active armor in the nick of time, right before Ernesto leapt onto the chariot platform. He commanded it to snag Zelly. But before they could get to Zelly, she, seeing the foolhardy exit plan for what it was, a botched getaway attempt with neither cover nor fail safe security front-flipped over the barreling armored stroller. She shot her grappling gun directly at the cruiser's tripod-mounted spotlight. Then she cartwheeled, caterwauling, to create a sonic diversion. She flipped across the lawn in a whirlwind of kicks, punches, elbows, and at least one knee to the groin, if you get my drift. Her multi-pronged, acrobatic ninjutsu attack had too many touch points to describe without going into minute detail. You can imagine it, right? What did it achieve? In the end, she saved three lives and granted them liberty, despite their obviously criminal activities. Those on or in the cyber-stroller, and no, this is not a publicity stunt to advertise an illegal, discontinued model of the Potemkin Pumpkin armored baby buggy. She also clotheslined the Cyber Samurai and sent Mrs. C flying spread-eagle until she face-planted into a patch of begonias. Her tornado of activity was so vicious and intense that she barely took any damage. However, that's also what brought her down. Her furious offensive maneuvers exacerbated the internal bleeding from her neck wound. It was an endpoint, a telos, and a final act of courage, she hoped, and not mere desperation, of a vain and failed martyr. satisfied blumpy is that the clean ending you wanted i swear to glott if you're snoozing oh my gosh are you laughing you're weeping imagine that you've got a big heart for such a little body relative to my species I'm not size shaming you So blumpy you flip to indignant rage faster than a cruise ship in hyperspeed Let's revisit Lilike and Constance as they play hide-and-seek with the truth. I shouldn't editorialize. Make up your own mind. The Tale of the Stones Do To recap, Lilike Pessoa is a child prodigy. Also, a gender non-binary youngster who goes by Zzerzer's They There Them and who cooked up what turned out to be a poisonous stone soup. Constance Peterson is the documentary filmmaker interviewing Zur. We witnessed Hernán, Gay's father, attempt to pull Xur out of the interview as Constance honed in on him and the allegations that he played a role in the poisoning death of Victor von Drom, a foreign dignitary. We resumed the tale just as tensions between father and child came to a head.
2: Unless the father of this child, what do you have to say regarding the investigation recently
0: aimed at your involvement? My involvement? I like to cook. So? Is that a crime? Come on, Lily. Lily Kay resisted. her father's pull.
3: No, I- I'm okay. I'm not afraid.
0: You're shaking like an artificial leaf in a wind tunnel.
3: So I'm nervous. I'm scared, yes, but what if I did murder this man subconsciously? What if I knew that by some surreptitious trick, my father did the one thing to tip the scale and make my recipe deadly? And I did nothing.
0: Okay, zip it, nincompoop. Enough magical imagination, turds. That was the idiot part of the savant. Promise me you'll delete that. Ignore. Is it intriguing? Yes, yes. But it doesn't make sense. There's no way any of us could anticipate how eagerly our guest would actually drink the soup. It's uncanny. The whole premise of stone soup is that you never actually drink it stew, stone stew, whatever. The premise is you don't drink it, it's symbolic. Okay, Mr. Pessoa, if I may,
2: would you? Consider the possibility that it was a cultural
0: misunderstanding. Whatever it was, he didn't get it. Perhaps we were too enthusiastic. We gassed him up, figuratively. And he bought it in a way that no adult has ever done in our home.
3: According to my research, Father, there was a time when people actually did eat stone stew together. And in fact, that was the whole point, as you say.
0: No, that's not true. They did the same thing you did in second grade. They sat in a circle like a bunch of school kids with an empty pot, and they talked about how, in theory, with the right ingredients in your mind, you can sell people on hunger. Create the hunger, and then get them to pay you to solve it so they have a sense of security for the future. No, Dad, they- I'll tell you what they did. They talked. They talked about how the traveler with the magical stone and the pot gathered everyone together into a miniature marketplace where they traded and did commerce. With the fire and his good cheer, it gave the townsfolk a little warmth and a reason to congregate. The traveler persuaded them to allow him to invest their ingredients into a magical stew. And then he sold the promise of a future bowl of it back to them. All of this was done without a single drop of soup being made for quite a profit. This is the official version now there's some controversy about how he kept most of the profits himself and they were supposed to be distributed to the investors but that's just because he couldn't easily make change which is why the story ends when he leaves town promising to hit them back when he returns yeah
3: no i i found a historical account of the tale and let me talk (sighs) there were many versions where that was not the whole thing Mm -hmm. sometimes a stone sometimes a button sometimes for reasons no one has quite explained a small throwing axe but the point was not to fool people into believing you had a magical rock and then turn a profit the point was that if everyone in town shares an ingredient an onion here a carrot perhaps even a a poor chicken Mm -hmm. you can make a pretty big and tasty feast in a single pot and everyone gets to eat and it tastes delicious enough
0: Don't listen to him. You're doing it again, kiddo. What? Stop going full know-it-all. It's gross. You
3: know that him is not my pronoun.
0: Oh, dear. I'm so sorry, my child.
3: Thanks, Dad. Um, Well, I think we're done. Anyway, to be fair, we usually didn't have so much broth. I mean, if anything... I should not have even been permitted the leeway to performatively cook alongside an expert chef. The practice
0: was banned after that night. You see, when a child genius appears, you, one can become irrational. One treats them like a little mature mini-adult. One gives them nearly the same rights and duties as a grown person, which in many contexts poses little harm. But there is a line. And say you have blurred it. So when it comes time to double-check your boundaries, you may skate over it entirely and then horse-correct at your leisure, only to keep the miracle going. You see how this perpetuates? What? What are you looking at? We're done here." And they were. Later that night, Constance selects Lilike on the secret holophone communicator she had given Zer as a wireless microphone transmitter earlier that day, since as a lav mic, that was its dual function. She typed, Do you believe your
3: father? I do not know. Are you asking if I trust him? Do you? My trust in most adults has been tainted. Though without my father and mother, my life would likely be far diminished. Drowned out by the techno-hell of the lower levels.
2: Very astute. What did you mean by some surreptitious trick? Has Hernan played tricks or pranks on you that required a high level of secrecy and deception to succeed? (laughs)
3: LOL. How would I know?
2: I'm asking. Usually, such tomfoolery comes to light as the
0: punchline to the joke, so to speak, comes out.
3: I don't know. It feels like you're trying to catch me or him in a lie and then use it to unravel everything we've said.
2: Hernan, is that you? (laughs) No, it's me. Then tell me something. Tell me something about your childhood that only you would
0: know. Lilike took a deep breath. Z could feel the tingling of nerves the flutter in Zer's stomach. Was it fear that this was wrong? That pang? Was it the anxious energy that had almost always accompanied the act of making a momentous decision? Was it some instinctual warning sign saying, Do not proceed. Do not enter this alley, this room, this chat, this holographic simulation of a playground Which looks safe, but is not. It was 2 a.m. Lilike would forever remember this fact because it was the first time Z had been up, hiding beneath the covers and wide awake, heart pounding, staring into a bright screen, blinking back at Zer. Lilike was now in seventh grade. After having skipped ahead past third grade and fifth, Lily wondered what to tell Constance, what to say, instead of a secret. And Z also wondered what secret would fit the moment. For her part, Constance hesitated to insert some calming platitude and slipped a thumb over the keyboard field, sending a false impression to Lilige that she was dictating another message or, in some weird antiquated way, typing. Like maybe she too had to be completely silent after an interlocutor had peeked in her room to confirm she was asleep. Thanks, Mom." The irony of this fanciful little mental tangent was that it was not true, yet it was prescient. Moments later, Constance cursed herself for the slip-up. God damn it. She worried. Did I ruin it? I didn't mean to type anything. Just answer me. Then the shush and click of her hotel room's inner pocket door closing alerted her to the presence now receding from her into the darkness. She flung the phone down. Hey! She hit the wall three times to alert her audio engineer in the neighboring room of the intruder. Who are you? My guys will be here in no time so you better identify yourself right now. She awaited a response. The void remained. Until it didn't. The intruder double-locked the door from the inside and powered up a device. One Constance, hoped, was not a weapon. Some hopes don't work out.
1: I thought you vowed never to return to this path, Cece. Shut your whiskey flap!
2: Excuse me? Not you! Ah! 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 Why can't I move?
0: I excuse you. You're all excused. We'll have to pick this one up next time round. Because someone needs a break from the waitrix. Me.
4: Shocking Sleep Facts, Volume 18, culled from the book Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, M.D. Sleep deprivation is used by torturers in various governments around the world. This should be considered inhumane and illegal worldwide for multiple reasons. Here are just a few. Prolonging sleep deprivation increases suicide attempts. It can increase the likelihood of a cardiac event such as a heart attack or stroke, it weakens the immune system in ways that encourage cancer and infection, and it renders genitals infertile. Several U.S. federal courts hold similarly damning views of these practices, asserting that sleep deprivation violates which amendments in the U.S. Constitution? Hang around for the answer after these banging credits. Screaming Panda presents Cowardice, Episode 18, the eighth chapter of Hellgate City, Season 2. Cowardice was written, performed, and produced by the ever-frightful Kevin Barry, also the sound designer and composer of its original music and episode art. The glitch in the Waitrix bonus tale for this chapter is Extraction, Glitch 18 available on our Patreon. And hot tip, the second tier up, Dreamwalkers, has already received Glitch 19, which I don't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but it's it's a good title, and it's called Borrowed Mime. Even if I'm late with an episode, I get to glitch out as best I can. Oh, second hot tip, if you go to our Patreon page and you pop into the Collections tab, you can preview all of them. A link in the show notes takes you straight there. Do you like the absence of ads during this show? If so, thank you, my nails. Not the manicure, though it never hurts. The Neo Amsterdam Legion Syndicate. Our handful of steadfast Patreon members. Many thanks to our OGs. And our three newest members. Anthony, Fortune Chaos, and Lord Kawaii. Actually, uh, there's more. Brandon and Moss. So that's five. Let's keep it rolling. Your appreciation of our expanding library of over 40 chillaxing tunes and is it 10 glorious bonus tales now has been wonderful. I hope you enjoy the notes on how they weave into the main plot. You keep the dream alive. If you're listening on the public feed, I have a wrinkle in that dream, which I'll share in a moment. Have you rated Hellgate City on Spotify to right the wrong of our four stars compared to 4.9 stars on Apple? Thanks to the four of you who did last week. It's time for the rest of you to step up. With over 38,000 downloads, we should have at least 38,000 reviews. Instead, we have eight, which is one more than last week. Thanks, El Fiero, for calling the show, quote, dark, witty sci-fi, a wonderfully entertaining thrill ride through an all-too-familiar hellscape. Splendid review. Please, more from others. Help me make it to 38 reviews by the end of this week. We'll call it December 7th. And I'll release a secret alternate ending of our 9 to Midnight story, Baba Yaga O'Reilly. A voice to text. You don't even have to type a five-word review on Apple Podcasts now. What do you appreciate about the show? When does it make for wonderful listening to pass the time? Which character do you always look forward to hearing from? If you need a hand, I'll do it with you. Just pop over to the credits of our previous episode, number 17, and I'll walk you through it in real time. Go to the 25 minutes and 25 second mark. Boom. Here's the thing. If you're not supporting me on Patreon right now, I'm sure there's a good reason why. But if you can and you've considered it and you're just dragging your heels, you can get started for as little as 20 American pennies a day. And I hate talking about pennies. I I just, I don't like anything about pennies, but I have referred to this as a start kicker. I just started making it and I'm asking you to kick in and I'm trying to hit 100 patrons by the end of the year i know that's insane because we're at the, i think the 13 mark at this point but that's over double what we had a couple of months ago so we just got to double that and then double it again i whatever you, you don't understand the math but in this moment your choice matters it can mean the difference between this show disappearing or me making it professionally and growing it into something you're proud to be a part of. And part of the reason that I'm doubling down on this is because I've experienced the positive feedback loop of finding those of you out there who do really love the show and your energy contributes back to my energy and I think I can make a better show this way than if I were to go some other route or try to sell it to Amazon or whatever. So I really want to do it this way if we can. If you can join me. I believe it's actually making the show better. So please answer our art slash merch poll for this episode on Spotify. Enjoy all that we have to offer. Now you can stream a documentary that I spent, I don't know, five plus years making. It's called Shadow of About. It's the tale of four inner city youth boxers and their boxing coach going to the junior golden gloves tournament. I poured my heart and soul into this thing. I learned actually much of my craft um, in terms of editing, dialogue, storytelling. If you join the Dreamwalker tier, you can stream it. So 10 bucks for one month, boom, you've got it, everything, and then you can ditch me. Don't, but you could, Uh, but don't. So that's it. And if you ever encounter the craven mountain lion of cowardice. Stand up high on your tippy toes to make yourself look as tall as possible and say, Rutabaga. Many kittens petrify at the thought of cabbage adjacent veggies. If this doesn't frighten the scaredy cat away, hightail it out of there. Even terrorized kitties bite when cornered. And now, the conclusion to Volume 18 of our shocking sleep facts. Several U.S. federal courts have asserted that sleep deprivation violates the 8th and 14th Amendments of the U.S. Constitution. Next time, we discuss how, like many modern-day torture tactics deviously designed to leave no physical evidence of assault, sleep deprivation epitomizes this goal. Which diabolical countries still use it for interrogation, and what two unassailable facts reveal why depriving prisoners of sleep should be abolished in times of war and peace. All that and more, next time, Dreamhackers.